If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't, the words will be on the screen this morning as we continue in our series called Life Without a Net as we read from Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 8 through 16 this morning. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars in the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the thing promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. Today we come in our third installment of this series. In this series called Life Without a Net. We come to the great patriarchs and patriarch of the faith. Abraham and his wife Sarah. As we take a look at what it means to completely trust God. With no plan B. With no opportunity to have a fallback. Completely moving forward by faith in God alone. You know, each one of us have times and situations and circumstances in our lives where all of a sudden we find ourselves in the dark. We've all been there before, haven't we? We find ourselves, whether someone's forced that upon us or whether we've uh, done things in our lives that have kind of resulted in us being in the dark, and, and we come to those times, and when it comes to faith, when it comes to having this, like, you know, intense, like, life without a net, faith in God with no other plan, those times it seems like it maybe is, is a little more difficult for us to trust the hand of God. But I got to tell you, I think what we're going to learn today through the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, is, is that it's during those times when our faith may, yes, be tested the most, but it's during those times in our life when we're walking in the dark where our faith is not only tested the most, but when it's strengthened the most. You see, we, have, we all have those times where we walk in the dark, but when we have the faith to follow God and to trust him during those times, what happens is we're challenged to really see the big picture of what God is doing. We're challenged to understand, like these of old and Abraham specifically, that our ultimate destination is not here. I'm sure glad about that. 
as much as I like it here. We also are challenged to take one step at a time forward, trusting that God is going to lead us to the next step. And that's where our faith is challenged, but yet strengthened. And today we're going to take a look at Abraham and his wife Sarah and find out how their faith was strengthened, yet challenged during a time where they were walking in the dark, like each one of us have at different times in our life. But before we do that, I want you to hear from someone right here among us who had a time where he and his family were walking in the dark as well, and they had faith that God would see them through. Check out the screens for a moment. Hi, my name is Eric Womack. This is my wife, Sherry. And I'd like to tell you a story that's greatly affected our family and our need to continue to rely on God. On May 15th of 2015, after a relatively normal day, playing tennis in the evening, having a great time, and singing with my band, at about 10 o'clock in the night, I had a sudden cardiac arrest for no cause or reason. I just went down. And in going down, I also sustained a traumatic brain injury. I was blessed to have somebody there that started CPR right away. And that's pretty much all I know because these are the things I was told. I have no recollection of the incident. On that night, I was at home with the kids watching a movie and Cynthia called and I thought it unusual because it was 10, close to 10 o'clock at night. And um, her message to me was that Eric has had some kind of seizure and they're taking him to the hospital and you need to get there as soon as possible. And um, I'm so thankful to God that she was the one that called. The delivery of her message was perfect and I just knew that I needed to go and find out the rest later. I arrived at the hospital and there was already a crowd of people there um, worrying about Eric, praying for Eric, asking what was going on with him. One other family was there whose husband or family member had been brought in and they were quite upset um, and calmly, from behind me, a man said, I'm sure they're working on them and they'll get to you as soon as possible. And I don't know who he was or where he went after that, but it was the calming voice that I needed. So that was the first, um, well, probably not the first, but one of the signs from God to just trust him and, and leave it in his hands. After some time of waiting, a nurse came out and asked um, Samantha, my daughter and I, to go into a separate waiting room to uh, find out more. Um, at that point, my heart kind of sank because I figured that was the room where they were going to give me the worst news. Um, while we were there, the doctor came in and uh, told us that he needed to do some more testing and that uh, Eric had had a cardiac arrest. and. Um, there was some bleeding in his brain and they weren't sure to the extent and that he would probably need to be airlifted to Savannah Memorial. I just looked at my daughter and told her at that point <laughs> to um, contact everyone she could think of and ask them to pray because we just didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And there was already an um, emergency room lobby full of people praying for Eric and for us but I just felt like anyone we could reach out to that could pray was really important at that point. So, and then she and I just prayed while we waited. 
the doctor finally came back with the word that they were going to airlift Eric to Savannah Memorial and um, told us that we could come back to see him shortly. It seemed like an eternity before they let us back there, but when they finally did, it was n not a scene that you would want your children to see. And Samantha um, had a very hard time and had to leave the room. When the doctor came in the room, he stopped immediately what he was doing when he saw us praying and joined the group and held hands with us and prayed over Eric before he left. And all through the process, I found later that there was a nurse, as Eric said, at the scene that started the CPR. The paramedics arrived very quickly. When Eric arrived at the emergency room, the physician that was there that cared for him knew him um, from his son taking tennis lessons with Eric. There were just people in place all the way around that um, have faith and that knew Eric and cared for him. They finally brought Eric into an emergency room at Savannah. We were able to go in and be with him. And we just prayed over him. The girls left and came back to Hilton Head, and I stayed. Um, and um, just stayed there with him the for the night. I had borrowed headphones from my daughter <laughs> so that I could listen to some praise music while I was there with Eric because I didn't know what else to do except for trust God. Throughout the whole story, there are many, many times when clearly I could see God's hand. Um, one of the biggest things is that there was a large crowd of people that were already praying for Eric when we were at Hilton Head. But um, I know the word went out, and the next morning, um, the neurosurgeon came in about 8 after having done another scan of Eric and said that the bleeding had um, stopped and it was contained, that it hadn't gotten any larger. And I just knew that that was because people woke and began to pray for him. And that, um, you know, that God placed his hand on the situation and, and um, just began to turn it around the other way. So that Sunday morning, I awoke. I don't remember much of Sunday morning. Much of what I'm telling you is what's been told to me. As the time went on, things would become pieced more and more together for me. And as the swelling went down in my brain, I became more aware of the situation. But oddly enough, I was calm throughout the entire thing. And granted, I wasn't fully aware of what was going on, but I do remember feeling calm about the entire situation. The neurosurgeons uh, came and talked to me every day and as I regained a little bit more um, of my thought process and not thinking that the year was 2011 anymore or James Polk was the president and I knew where I was and when it was, um, I then got to talk to the cardiology team who explained to me that I had a sudden cardiac arrest for no cause or reason. And after finding out a little bit more about this, I found out that I'm one of 7% of people that have a sudden cardiac arrest outside a hospital and live to tell about it. And there is no explanation in my mind for why the bleeding in my brain stopped or I recovered so quickly from the sudden cardiac arrest except for the hand of God. I'm convinced of that to this day. And I often, I don't really wonder why me. I often think though, did he give me this so that I can share the magic of what he did to help me and once again save my life.
The community support, however, in this time with the mounting medical bills and the loss of business was tremendous. We got a lot of financial support through a, a terrific fundraiser to help with offset the medical costs that we've had. And we're so gracious for that. But I can also tell you that it has not been easy. It was a good six months before I really, really felt back to normal. And uh, well, I say back to normal because I've never been normal, but back to where I was. But the, uh, but the important thing to understand is it's not just a bed of roses after this. And I have no complaints about this. This is just where God put us. God has us here right now. God has us struggling right now. And I also honestly believe that many times that he has us here in this struggle so that we can lean on him a little bit more. Maybe me, because I tend to be arrogant when things are going well. I don't rely on God. I often look to what I can do. I need to be a little bit more focused on where God has me and what God has in store for me. God gave me this opportunity with the cardiac arrest. God has me here right now. And the next thing I have to continue to do is to continue to look for him for the answer and what's the next step. And here's Eric. <laughs> brain damage and all. He said brain damage and all. And Sherry, thank you guys, uh, Eric, you and Sherry, for sharing um, your story. And uh, man, it was, uh, it was quite a night. I, I ended up going over to the hospital that night um, as well. And um, I know you won't remember any of this, but um, because you were in bad shape. And, and while you were peaceful, the rest of us were worried. I mean, we really were worried. And there were several things that really struck me um, that night. Um, really, first and foremost was um, how many people, you talked about the community coming around and supporting you. Um, Sherry, I, I was just amazed and, and encouraged by how many people showed up. And I know you've lived here a long time, but man, you had a whole hospital lobby full of people um, praying for you, um, concerned about you, organizing things. It was just amazing. And so um, I, I wanted to ask you to, to just start, uh, you know, um, today. What, what does it mean, like, when you're in the middle of the darkness, when you're walking in the dark, um, how important are, are other people, uh, you know, friends and, and, and people who are deep-rooted in their faith? How, how important is that? And how important was that for you and for Sherry during this time? Yeah, the, uh, the support that we received from the community was phenomenal, especially our Christian brothers and sisters. There was constantly someone around checking on Sherry and the kids. What can they do for us? How can they help? I think we had um, six weeks of meals or something to that effect, and 20 pounds later, I was very appreciative of that as well. Um, and the sight and the knowledge that all of these folks were on our side mm -hmm. was just tremendous and remarkable. And a little bit more important for my family than me because oddly enough, I wasn't, um, I wasn't the one with as much concern. I was the one recovering. And again, as I said, I had a piece about it, but there was also some, some brain swelling to go down and whatnot and, and uh, that put you <laughs> in a very odd place. Mm -hmm. But your family's looking at you wondering, 
is he going to get much better? Is, mm. is he, is he going to stay like this where the frontal lobe is affected? And by the way, that affects your filter, which mm. is not a cool thing. Um, <laughs> uh, it didn't bother me at all, but, but they were mortified. Um, and and, the, and the, you know, one of the tennis professionals that I work with organized a fundraiser the next morning yeah. when he yeah. got news of this and uh, helped to raise money to offset some of the out-of-pocket expenses that our insurance didn't cover, which, by the way, if you take a helicopter ride to Savannah, that's out of network, <laughs> just, just so you know. So, um, and you didn't have an opportunity to say no. That, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Not my, it was, yeah, they, the, the insurance company considered that elective, oddly <laughs> enough. So um, anyway, it was, it was tremendous and, and, again, a huge piece about the community supporting us. You know, um, you, these are the kind of things that you, you go through in life where you, you say it happens to other people. It, it never happens to me, right? You know, it never happens to you. Um, and, and I know that you guys, um, you, you were peaceful, and, and I saw that peace. And the other thing that struck me was the peace that Sherry had that night. And I know internally, Sherry, uh, you had to have some fear. Uh, we all had fear, tremendous amount of fear. Um, but how did you guys, walking in the dark, how did you guys get, you and your family, get from that place of, you know, just being fearful about what the future might hold for you? And, you know, even, you know, that night, uh, you know, Sherry, even in the recovery, how did you guys get to that, from that place to a point where um, you were trusting and, and just obeying God and just following him in the middle of that dark place? Yeah, that was actually, um, that's been set up over the years. Uh, we've had some tough times as do most folks at some point in their life. And we've had some dark times before and we've really had to learn to rely on God. So mm. oddly enough, since this foundation was built, the moment this happened, there was no doubt, there was no wonder where to go. It was immediate to God and to know that the entire thing is in God's hands. And I know this sounds like the Miss America answer, but... <laughs> It's where you have to be, and I'm just so blessed that we've had these other things that have led to this so that there was no wonder why me, what to do. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, it just, just some, some family events in the last 20 years prior to that really set the stage. And, and I say this, uh, and I want to share this with you. I was not a Christian as a child. I became a Christian mm. as a young adult. Mm. So this walk um, has really been a unique perspective and growth for me unlike my awesome wife who uh, was a Christian since, uh, since her early teen years and uh, has had that root, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to be able to lean on her and rely on her and develop that root as well. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I, Sherry, I, I was so amazed. That was the other thing that struck me there that night in the hospital is, is just to see that solid foundation. But I think it's so important what you just said that uh, like our, our legacy of faith, like you know, how we trust God in the normal dark times, um, really is going to kind of set us up for uh, our, our level of trust during the, the crisis moments in the dark. And, uh, man, it was just amazing to see the support and to see what God um, has done. I loved my, my, my favorite moment that night as we were still, I mean, within, you know, that whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, my favorite moment was um, when they, they let Sherry and myself back in to see you right before he took your helicopter ride that you said, man, I took a helicopter ride that I will never remember. Um, but um, before you got, up, got on that uh, life flight, really, it's what it was. Um, doc, your doctor was like, you know, trying to triage other patients and that sort of thing, but he heard us praying. And Dr. Snowman is his name, and he popped in 
and he grabbed your hand and grabbed Sherry's hand, and we prayed together. And I thought, man, that is awesome. And, and God, God just took one step at a time and walked you through it. Now, um, one of the things about the faith journey we're going to talk about in a moment is, is that faith and obedience uh, just go hand in hand. And so I'm sure that there have been moments over the past year or, or so, and even now, um, where you guys have been in a position to uh, have to trust God in obedience. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like coming out of this time of walking in the dark. Yeah, interestingly enough, the, um, the health part of things has gotten remarkably better and relatively quickly considering <laughs> yeah. the span of things. Um, I'm pronounced healthy, all of that's good, but I missed quite a bit of work. And in the time that I missed work, I owned my own business. We lost a good bit of revenue. Mm -hmm. And there have been some, some pretty, pretty good financial struggles along the way with this. And the critical thing is, again, I feel like God let this happen. God, God gave this to us. Now we have to continue to look and to rely on him. And we don't know. It's, it's not moving along uh, month to month as nicely as it has been before. It's a little bit of a struggle. But the, tri the key is really for us is to know that God will deliver us one way or the other how he likes to deliver us for this, and again, to lean on him for that. Mm, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. Well, um, your church is, is here for you guys. I, I, I'm so thankful, Sherry, for you and Eric sharing um, your story uh, about walking in the dark and having that faith and having that obedience in the dark. And I, I know that there are, there are struggles. There are struggles you will face in the future. And so I just want to pause for a moment and pray for you guys. We were praying for you uh, back when this happened, and I just want to pray for you. Um, and I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. But let's, uh, let's pray honor. for Sherry. And I, I'm not going to ask Sherry to come up on stage because she would hurt me if I did that. So anyway, so, so uh, let's pray. If you would, just reach out your hand uh, to, uh, to Eric here, just in show of support of he... And, and Eric and um, Alex and, and um, Samantha and, um, and Erica. And God, I just pray right now in the strong name of Jesus, God, that you would be with the Wamek family. God, I thank you so much for their faith. God, I thank you so much for um, their journey, although it was so incredibly difficult. God, and the thing that just, just uh, strikes me and just I keep coming back to is that statement that Eric made at the end of that video that it was just one step at a time, trusting you. God, even when life is dark, God, even when uh, circumstances and situations go completely differently than, than what we want, and God, our desire is, God, um, this is a man and he and his family and his wife who have trusted you. And God, I thank you for that example. And I pray for them in the strong name of Jesus, that you would lift them up, that you would increase his business, that you would strengthen him, that you would continue to heal him. And God, that you would be with them and deepen their faith. God, and I pray uh, for more peace as they walk forward in this. And may we be people just like Eric and just like Sherry who demonstrate what it means to walk in obedience, even during the times when it is so dark in front of us when we know what we're supposed to do and we walk in obedience just the same. God, I thank you for them and I pray your blessing on them and all the people at Hilton Head Island Community Church say amen. Amen. Hey, man. Proud of you, buddy. Thank you so much, man. You too, buddy. So amazing to see God's journey in, in their life and, and their example of faith and obedience is been encouraging and challenging. Um, it, it's been amazing to see how they've just really hung on to God 
uh, through this whole story and continue to. And so I'm so thankful um, for you guys sharing your story. We all have those moments, and it may not be that crisis that they have gone through. Um, it may not be the crisis or, or that, that critical moment, that tragedy that they've been through, but it's, it could be job-related or it could be financially related. It could be something in your workplace where, where, where you spend most of your time. It could be a crisis in your family right now where you're walking in the dark or you and your family are in the dark. And, and the thing about being in the dark is, is that life happens Life has to go on. And so at some point in time, we have to develop, if we're Christ followers, we have to develop a faith where it's life without a net, where we're walking, even though we're in the dark, we're trusting God one step at a time. And Abraham and Sarah are such a great example of what it means to take one step forward and to trust God along the way. And we began by reading Hebrews chapter 11 and hearing about that hall of faith character. But let's take a look at Genesis as we kind of uh, go back to the Old Testament and, and read the story of, uh, of Abram and, and Sarai, which is what their original names were. Take a look with me, if you would, at Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 11 and 12. And really just kind of bring to, to a close what we can learn from their story and from uh, Eric and Sherry's story. Check this out from Genesis 11 and 12. We're going to read the last couple verses of chapter 11 and then move into chapter 12. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The day of Terah was 205 years, and Terah died there in Haran. Now, we switch over to chapter 12, verse 1. And what we're going to come up upon here in a moment is one of the most important couple verses in all of Scripture because it gives the foundation of a covenant that God established between he and, and Abram, which became Abraham, and the whole nation of Israel, God's people. So let's take a look at this, verses 1, and you'll kind of pick out here when that covenant happens. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I want to emphasize a couple things there. He says, Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house to the land that I will show you. There's not much definite about that whatsoever, is there? Nothing at all. Verse 2. And here's where the covenant comes in. Here's where that promise comes in between God and, and, and Abram. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will dishonor you. Uh, 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 and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot, that's his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, just a couple things that I want to point out here is, is that when um, the writer here, Moses, is writing the book of Genesis, he's writing it at a point in time where he kind of picks up the story from Haran. 
And, and we have many other verses in Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, that, that give us the clear indication that when God called Abram to go to this promised land, that, that, that he was in um, this, this place where his ancestors came from, and he was there um, in Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, so, so we have a clear indication from Scripture that even though at this point it's picking up from Haran or Moses kind of like fast forward would be kind of like telling a story from like point B rather than point A, um, that really Abram was in Ur of the Chaldees, which is important for a specific reason. I'll tell you that in a moment. Now, um, the second thing that I want to point out is that um, today what we're going to be looking at is Abram and Sarah, Sarai's journey, Abraham and Sarah's journey from Ur of the Chaldees towards the promised land. We, we read about Sarah, and, and we read about her not being able to give birth to what would eventually be Isaac. And if you're interested in going deeper, and if you're interested in studying this at a deeper level, we're going to cover that part of the story on Wednesday night. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you can, if you're not a part of a life group, or if you're not part of anything else on Wednesday night, be here for Wednesday night roots. Um, we we kind of like take over this little area over here, and we have tables. You can come at 6.30 to eat, and by 7 we get started. Um, it was awesome the last two weeks. We had our like surprise tropical storm week one. We had about 20 adults here, and then last week we had 30. So uh, I want to encourage you, if you want to go deeper from what we study on Sunday morning, you're given a guide. It's a great time. I want to encourage you to be here. So don't think that I'm leaving Sarah out of the story, okay? I'm, I'm not doing that. I just have a little time. So I want to focus on the journey and Abram and Sarai going when God called them. So that's what we're going to focus on here, and we'll focus on the other uh, on Wednesday. Now, there's a couple things that we can learn from this passage. First and foremost, this is the first time where we see Abraham mentioned. And as you noticed, his name is Abram, and, and his wife's name is Sarai. And that's an important factor because God changed their names into the covenant name after they had obeyed him. And so we know them now as Abraham, and we know them as Sarah. And, and of course, a lot of you probably, even if you're not churched, you know Abraham, Father Abraham. You might have sung it in camp or at Sunday school or whatever, like Father Abraham and many sons, many sons of Father Abraham. Okay, and so we have Abraham and we have Isaac and Jacob. And, and, and then the nation of Israel, um, the, the Jewish people begin to multiply. And God's um, covenant with Abraham is fulfilled. But we see Abraham here for the very first time. And God tells him to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and to go to the promised land. Now, that is significant for a few reasons. Number one, um, Ur is located near where modern-day Baghdad is located, on the Euphrates River. And, and while we think of that like we wouldn't want to move from here to Baghdad, most of you probably would say no to that, like job transfer, okay? Um, like back then, that was the, the area that they lived, Ur of the Chaldees, was, a, it was kind of a, a very like successful, wealthy, rich in nutrients area. And so um, it was a place where like a lot of success could have been found. And Abram's family had lived there for a very long time. And so when God told him to go to leave that place, you have to understand that he was leaving 
everything behind that he knew to be like stable and consistent and trustworthy. He was leaving his family. He was leaving potential success. He was leaving probably past success. He was leaving his whole network. And God called him to go out of this place. And he was probably about 74, 75 years old when that happened. Not the time of life that you want to be leaving what you know to be true to go to an unknown place to follow God. But he did. And you see, his relationship was such a high priority for Abraham, or Abram at this time, that his relationship with God was such a high priority that when God told him to go, he didn't flinch. He didn't question He just left. And he left, and in leaving, he showed his great trust in the dark because he did not know what the next step was. He didn't know the direction that God would take them. He didn't know how he would get there. He didn't know how God would sustain them. Yet Abraham acted when God said Go. A lot of people call this like a blind faith, and I think you'll see in a moment that it's not really a blind faith, although I can understand like where we get that terminology from. I like to call it faith in the dark because it's literally like walking in the dark trying to feel your way around. I I do this every night. I asked my daughter if I could share this story, and surprisingly, the 12-year-old said yes. So anyway, um, at night, I I go in and pray with her at night, and um, she's a 12-year-old girl, so, you know, Usually there's a few things on the floor in her room. And I go in, and she likes it really dark, and so I'll walk in after she's already gotten in bed, and I always ask her, am I going to trip on something? <laughs> and so that's how our prayer time begins. So anyway, so I walk in, and I literally shuffle my feet because I'm afraid that I'm going to fall down in the middle of that dark room. And, you know, it's not dirty, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of stuff there, usually like shoes or clothes or whatever. And so um, we, we all have had that experience of walking into a place where we don't know what the next step is. And here's what Abraham did. Abraham trusted God for the very next step. He packed up what he needed on the journey. He gathered his dad and he gathered his, his uh, nephew Lot and he got his wife and they just went destination unknown route unknown how they would be taken care of unknown and they walked out in faith this family taking a probably what amounted to like a thousand mile journey altogether because from Ur the Chaldees they went and they followed God and we don't have a lot of information on how they did that but they followed God to the northwest and ended up in Haran, and they ended up settling there for a little while, but God wasn't done. That was 600 miles, roughly. That was about 600 miles, and then they traveled south into the promised land. And for most of the rest of his life, Abraham, this great man of God that's listed in the hall of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, as counted as someone who has great faith, traveled with he and all of his relatives this long, arduous journey, and they didn't have cars or planes or trains or automobiles back then. It must have been just awful. And he spent most of the rest of his life like a nomad following God. You ever remember those family vacations <laughs> where everybody gets slammed in a car and you drive, drive across country? It happened once in my family. 
my grandparents and my mom and dad decided it would be a good idea when we were living in Tampa, Florida, um, to go to Colorado for a vacation. And we all packed into my grandfather's like 1979 Cadillac DeVille. And, and it was like, you know, it was like um, my grandparents, my mom and dad, and me and my sister. And me and my sister literally probably spent most of the time on the floorboards, no seatbelt, on the floorboards down in the back seat of the car, just like, you know, like hitting each other and trying to, you know, give each other raspberries and stuff. And I remember it was really funny because on that trip, all the way out there, it took forever to get out there. It took a couple days to get out there, and it was, you know, it was hot in the car, and, you know, I mean, we stopped at one place, and I think somebody stepped in something, so it was smelling the car. Anyway, uh, I shouldn't have shared that, but anyway, so, like, we were in this car, and my sister was drawing a picture, and she drew a picture of herself in jail. (laughs) I love that. That was awesome. I love Katie. Anyway, so that, like, you've been there. You've been on this journey. And Abraham and Sarah and their family, they don't have any of the modern luxuries, yet they followed God in the dark, trusting him each step of the way. And so I think that Abraham and Sarah teach us so much about what happens with faith and obedience. See, I think there's a relationship between faith and obedience that we we heard from Eric and Sherry that's so important, but we can learn from Abraham and Sarah that's so important. And here's kind of the concept. Like, Abraham was faithful to, to obey God, but his obedience began with that faith. You see... Just like Eric talked about a few minutes ago, that like their whole history of trusting God during the difficult times gave them the ability to trust him and walk in obedience during the most difficult time. It's the same, same case with Abraham. He, he, he so had faith in God that when the moment came that God said go, he didn't even hesitate. And so faith is the fuel that is poured out on obedience. You see, we can obey God not knowing what the future looks like when, when our faith is deepened and when our faith is strengthened. And think about for a moment the implications of what Abraham was doing. When he said yes to God and when he put one foot in front of the other and began to follow God, you realize the huge implications It was that act of obedience that God used to allow Sarah at 100 years old to become pregnant with Isaac. And that started that one act of obedience of following God in the middle of the darkness. I don't want you to miss this. God used that act of obedience to bring about his people, the Jewish people, to ultimately bring about his son who would ultimately use to redeem the world from their sins. There was a lot riding on Abraham's act of obedience in that moment. His great faith in the Lord allowed God to continue to use him over the years. Even though he was dead, Hebrews says, he was faithful. He was faithful. You see, you and I, listen, listen, you and I, God can use our one act of obedience of just putting one foot in front of the other in moments where you may be in the dark, and some of you may be in the dark right now in a particular situation, 
in a particular circumstance in your life, and you know that God has called you to do one thing, it can be that one act of obedience that can change everything about your life. It could potentially change everything about your kid's life. It could change everything about your spouse's life. That one small act of obedience could change everything for generations to come. And once we have the faith to obey, then our obedience and seeing God work in our lives and seeing God heal and seeing God provide in the darkness allows us to have greater faith in the future. Abraham and Sarah are such the example of what it means to take one step at a time, following God even in the dark. And I think probably the greatest lesson that we can learn from them is that their confidence and their faith in God was not born out of this blind faith. That's why I don't like to call it blind faith. Their confidence in God was birthed because they understood that this was not their home. That when God said, I'm going to provide for you a land, Abraham and Sarah understood and knew that this was not their ultimate home, that their ultimate home was heaven with God one day. And when you and I can get that in our minds, when we can have that kind of like, like ultimate destination is heaven perspective, it changes everything about faith and obedience in our lives. If we can allow that to just sink into to who we are as, as, as people, as Christ followers, let it sink into our hearts, man, we can have great faith to follow God when he says go, not knowing where go is. You and I, if we understand our ultimate destination and recognize that heaven is our ultimate home, it allows us, it gives us that confidence to be able to follow in obedience, to be able to follow even, even when there's an unknown right in front of us. The Apostle Paul speaks of this, and I want to leave you with this this morning. He speaks of this when he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, so we do not lose heart. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for what? An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are, what's that last word? Eternal. Eternal. See, Abraham and Sarah were able to walk in faith because they understood their ultimate destination. It wasn't the promised land. It wasn't Haran. It certainly wasn't Ur of Chaldees. God essentially had them traveling from place to place in tents for the rest of their lives. They understood that their ultimate destination is heaven. That's their home. And if we can change our perspective about that one thing, then we can make the choice to do the one thing that's going to change everything. Father God, I pray that you would be with us, and I pray that we would be people, those of us who are here today who are Christ followers, that we would be men and women and students and children who understand this heavenly perspective, that we have this perspective and, and lens of 
our ultimate destination is heaven. That that's your design for us is to be with you in heaven one day when we die. And God, I pray for those who are here right now and they know that they're going to heaven. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their ultimate destination is heaven because they put their faith in your son, Jesus, to forgive their sins and to give them the ability to to go to heaven. But God, I pray for, for those right now who are Christ followers, who know their ultimate destination is heaven, and like I have so many times, have not acted in obedience and faith with that mindset. God, I pray that you would change our perspective, change our attitude, change how we look at life so that we can be people who are known for our faith. And God, I pray right now, for those who are out here that they may be facing circumstances and situations that are fearful, that are very scary. God, they know the consequence is so heavy. And God, right now, I pray for those who are in this room who are faced with having to make a choice while walking in the dark to follow you, God. And I pray that you would help them to do that. God, I pray as Eric shared earlier, that they would take that one step, just that one step, one foot in front of the other and just follow you in obedience. God, I pray that you would give them clarity and that you would give them encouragement and challenge along the way. And God, right now, I pray for those who are here today um, in the sound of my voice and their one step in obedience is accepting you as their Savior so that they know beyond a shadow of doubt where their ultimate destination is. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus for salvation, I want to encourage you and invite you to do that today. God's word says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. The story of redemption that began with Abraham's story, that started off, kind of kicked off with spark back then, ended with Jesus dying on a cross and three days later rising again from the dead for you so that you can have that same type of faith that we saw with Eric and Sherry and with Abraham and Sarah. I want to invite you to make Jesus your Savior right now. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud and if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to do that right now. You can just say this in your heart to God. You can say it any way you want. God doesn't care. He cares about your heart. It's a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for my sins. God, I pray right now that you would forgive me of my sins. And right now, I put my trust and my faith in you for eternity. If you're in here and you prayed that prayer along with me and you're best way with every head bowed and every eye closed I'm just going to have you raise your hand just for a moment I won't embarrass you or call you out or anything like that just raise your hand for a moment anyone in the room God I pray thank you God I pray so much for these thank you thank you anyone else anyone else God I pray for those who raised their hand this morning and maybe those who didn't but they They had a real heart change today, God. I pray that you would encourage them, that you would challenge them. And I thank you for stories like Abraham and Sarah, God. I thank you for the faith of these patriarchs that have gone before. But God, I thank you also for people like Eric and Sherry, God, who demonstrate what it means to follow step by step in the middle of the dark in obedience to 
your commands. And God, I pray that we would be a church full of people who do that. In your name we pray and all God's people said, amen.